In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics, Jesse Temple, along with you. All right, Wisconsin goes and gets a big win. They beat Iowa 24-22. to We'll talk about that uh, coming up here. We'll also get into some of the best sound that we got from the post-game media session. There's actually a lot of good stuff, as usually there is. Uh, is 50% of your audio from Chris Orr? It, it, well, it usually is, and he had a couple of great lines this week. Uh so we'll get to that. We'll get to your Twitter questions as well. All right. So it wasn't pretty. Uh, as Brad Davison said about the basketball game on Friday night, gritty, not always pretty. <laughs> it works for the Wisconsin football team as well. The one guy that was pretty, Jonathan Taylor, 250 yards. And really, I don't think you can mention him without what the offensive line did. They were they were great. I think they were the team that we, the offensive line was the offensive line we were expecting for much of the year and we hadn't seen for probably a month. And they got it. They got after Iowa big time. That was perhaps my biggest takeaway from this game. And the thing that I wrote about off the game was, in some sense, it was sort of redemption for Wisconsin's offensive line. They'd been a much maligned group, and deservedly so, because Wisconsin couldn't close out Illinois, and we knew they struggled in the red zone. And obviously, the offensive line was manhandled for the most part against Ohio State. And you're right, they got back to what they do best. When these teams play, it's similar styles of play, but to me, Wisconsin just does it better. Wisconsin is just a better team than Iowa. certainly has been for the better part of this decade. And they went out there, even though Iowa knew exactly what Wisconsin was going to do, and ran it right down their throats. And the telling number to me is that of those 250 yards Jonathan Taylor had, 130 came in the fourth quarter. And what better way for Wisconsin to play Wisconsin football than to, after the big two-point conversion stop, which I know we'll get into, take possession of the ball with a little over three minutes left, and never give Iowa an opportunity to get the ball back. They just ran it right down Iowa's throat. Jonathan Taylor had a seven-yarder on first down, then got a first down on the next carry, and then he had a 40-plus yarder, and that was it. And I thought that was was the story of the game, is, is that the offensive line played the way that it needed to play. And it was notable to me, at least, that they went with the same five offensive linemen in this game. There was no rotation. And when I talked to Joe Rudolph earlier in the week, I could detect the frustration in his voice about how they had not played to the level that he wanted them to. And he said that in the, he was doing the guard rotation earlier, and he said something to the effect of no one had stepped up to friggin, he loves to say friggin, <laughs> to friggin earn that role and say, this is my job. And, and I think he started to find the pieces to the puzzle. Yeah, and JT, so that, that 43-yarder, he had a 30-yarder on the uh, drive previous to that. Those were the two longest plays I would given up on the ground all year. And then you think about the fact that three weeks earlier against Illinois, that same situation presented itself, and they could not stay on the field and keep Illinois off the field, and it led to the loss. And for them to come back, and obviously you would have, if you're a Wisconsin fan, would have liked to have seen them do that against Illinois or just somehow come away with that win. You know, it kind of changed the season, certainly. But they came back and they, as you said, got some redemption. The 300 yards that they put up on Iowa was the most since 2001 against the Hawkeyes. Um, since 308, uh, Indiana had 308 in 2001. To be able to do that, I think the 250 yards that Jonathan Taylor had was the most by uh, a back against Iowa since at least 2000. I think so. I mean, you put all these things together, 
and uh, what Wisconsin was able to do on the ground paved the way for what was a huge, huge victory. But I think the running game was complemented at least a little bit by the throws down the field uh, to Quintez Cephas, uh, especially there in the third quarter. And it, came, and it came on first down. Two of the big plays came on first down. Yeah, there weren't a ton of big throws, but they were just enough to have some balance in the offense. I know that's been a complaint of this offense for the last couple of years that they don't take these shots down the field. But you're right. Quintez had a huge gain and then like three plays later had the 27 yard touchdown catch. And I, I think, look, they don't, they don't call that up very often and fans are probably frustrated about why they don't do that. But when they do, as long as you're effective in the way they were against Iowa, that should be good enough to get it done with the, type of running back they have and and I still think that this offensive line is is coming together it's not one of the best offensive lines we've seen here by any stretch but that was a big time statement win in my mind in a rivalry game against Iowa to stay alive in the Big Ten West they did the things they needed to do even though as you said gritty not pretty yeah the throws to Cephas he he would I mean there were some openings I thought in the first half where they could have thrown the ball down the field the one time Jack just Decided to take the short route, I think, to Danny Davis. Um, and then the second time, uh, Epin- Epinesa? How do, you, how do you say it? A.J. Epinesa? Yeah, A.J. Epinesa got around and took the ball off of Jack's hand. He was throwing the ball down the field there, too. So, I mean, those maybe that is potentially a reason why maybe Paul Chris doesn't have all the confidence in the world, you know, is dealing with that with a defensive line like Iowa to throw the ball down the field in that situation. Certainly that was the case against uh, Ohio state as well, but they took advantage of it. And, you know, to be able to put teams on their heels, at least on first down, it works. So flip over to the other side of the ball, what Wisconsin did pretty much all game. I mean, they, they slowed the passing game until about until Iowa remembered, you could throw the ball down the field. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, Wisconsin did a great job stopping the run. Iowa hasn't been able to run the ball pretty much all year, but they were able to get uh, them into one dimensional. They just couldn't get to the quarterback. That may be the best offensive line pass blocking wise that they've seen all year, uh, especially the tackles. Zach Bond said it. You know, those are two first round. Well, at least one of them is a top ten pick, and they barely got any pressure whatsoever on him, and it led to allowing him to throw the ball around there in the fourth quarter. Did Nate Stanley throw like three passes in the first half? Was that is that accurate? He completed three passes. Completed three passes. I think pass. he was, th- was he three of seven? It maybe it was something. I couldn't believe it. I'm like this guy is one of the best quarterbacks that I was had, and they're not using him at all. And obviously, you've got to have some semblance of a run game to do that. But I thought they picked up some yards. They just they couldn't finish drives. And this was an opportunity, I think, for the defense to show kind of like what we were talking about with the offensive line like what the defense did in the first six games was real and I think it was sort of forgotten because of what happened in the last two games too many big plays against Illinois I thought they played well enough to win in the first half against Ohio State but fell apart in the second half as a lot of teams will do they did their job and but you're right they Nate Stanley hit a couple big plays in the second half and it was 21 to 6 and I thought there's no way that (laughs) there's no way Iowa has the offensive firepower to score enough points to even get back in this game based on everything we had seen that week and pretty much all the other weeks, and they did it. But credit to the defense because they came up, uh, Chris Orr, Eric Burrell came up with the biggest play of that game, uh, and it was pretty awesome to see. It was, and the difference when you give up a 75-yard touchdown and all the emotion drained out of a stadium that you just – I mean, you – 
they thought they had the game won. I mean, they're, you're up. You had just kicked a field goal. Uh, Iowa had moved the ball a little bit, but it was going to take a little bit to get. To, and they only had three minutes left to be able to get down there and, and uh, get a touchdown and a two point conversion. And they hit the touchdown on the first play of the game or the first play of the drive. Deron Harrell falls. I went back and looked at the the film. I was I was like, Deron Harrell was in the game. He hadn't played the last two weeks. I mean, he didn't play against Illinois, and he didn't play against Ohio State, defensively at least. And then he's out there. It was his second drive. And his, uh, he just just fell. All the emotion drained out. And then you get one play for the game, and it's a QB draw. Like, nobody saw that coming. Like, the, the, that was the most surprising QB draw since John Stocko in 2005 against Michigan. Like, you don't expect that in that situation, a do-or-die situation, to put it in your hands. But yet it was there because Wisconsin was not expecting it. You asked every and all the players were asked, was that on your list of things that you guys were talking about? And it's like, nope, nope, nope. And uh, Chris Orr dropped into coverage. And all of a sudden you see 242-pound Nate Stanley coming at you full speed. And Chris Orr just met him right at the goal line, right at the one. He gets him low. Eric Brell comes and just drills him high. And it uh, it was funny, obviously, after the game. Um, Chris Orr's like, I had no doubt I was going to stop him. And a reporter said, he weighs more than you do. And Chris Orr goes, that's all right. He ain't squatting 600. And uh, it was just a classic Chris Orr line and great stop. And Paul Christ summed it up pretty well after the game. When you were talking about the highs and lows of a football game, he said that that is football in a nutshell. You've got to be able to turn the page and always focus on the next play. And while that is perhaps a cliched statement, completely true in this situation. If you are sulking about giving up a 75-yard touchdown and saying that we should, this game should be over, then you're not adequately prepared to stop a play that you didn't expect. And that was that was really fascinating because as players are going through potential scenarios with defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, Nowhere on the list was a quarterback draw. As you said, it was just like the most unexpected thing. And I was down there on the field, right right on the sideline. And when he took off, I thought, oh. I thought it was good. He's in there. Like there was an opening. And Chris came out there and just punished him. And Eric Burrell finished it off up top. It was a total team effort. And that's what it takes to win a game like this. And like that is the difference between being still in the Big Ten West race and and being Iowa right now. Yeah, you'll you'll hear uh, Zach Bond talk about it as well. I thought his answer about the meaningfulness of that play. He said it encapsulated encapsulated the rivalry, right? Like Chris Orr was Wisconsin, Nate Stanley was Iowa. You knew it was going to be head on collision, and all it takes, all you have, give everything you have. And in that one situation, Wisconsin being represented by Chris Orr was tougher than Iowa being represented by Nate Stanley. And it's it kept their big... T- I mean, obviously, it would have been a tie game, right? Still three minutes left. Wisconsin maybe goes down there. But getting that stop, I think, speaks just so highly of the mentality and the, I guess, the resilience of the defense. Because I think in a lot of situations, people would, you know, that would have been an easy play to, to go. I mean, that would have been an easy play for them just to be lost in their own feelings and yet they came up with a huge stop and got it done and um the offense went and finished it out they beat iowa 24 22 they do keep their big 10 hopes a big 10 west hopes alive all right time to get into a little sold or not sold jonathan taylor will top 2,000 yards sold or not sold he's currently at he's 741 yards short right now thank you for giving me the number because i would have had to do a lot of yeah yeah 741 catching up on i looked it up games. this time i don't i don't, I don't want you to have to 
do that kind of thinking on the job here. All right, so there's four games left, yep. I think. Maybe there's five. We need, um, to, need to average 185 yards a game. Over how the many f- games? Over the four games. I don't think he's going to get it. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, maybe I can talk myself into this because they're playing Nebraska and Purdue. I can give you the ranks if you want me to give their... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, so, let's hear that. Yeah, so Nebraska's ranked 79th against the rush. They gave up 173 yards a game. Purdue is 70th against the rush. They gave up 163 yards a game. Minnesota, 26. They gave up 117 per game. And this was as of yesterday. I didn't have a chance to look the stats up again this morning, but that's where they are right now. And then obviously the bowl opponent, we don't know who that would be. For the sake of continuity of my answer, I'm going to say under... Let's say he gets 120 yards against Minnesota. That might be a pretty good game, but that means you got to get a 200-plus game like you did against Iowa and some of these other games. So... He, had three, doesn't, he needed a huge game last year, 373 against Purdue to get to where he was last year. He had he had 321 Excuse against, me, 321. Three, uh, he needed three overtimes to get there, but worth every yard. Yes. But having said that, and I, I would say like if he doesn't get to 2,000 yards, some people may look at it as a disappointing season because he's not going to be a Heisman finalist based on what we've seen so far. Unless he has 250 yards every single game the rest of the way and scores three touchdowns, maybe he can jump back in. I think what he's done has been phenomenal despite a couple hiccups there, despite the fact Michigan State held him to 3.1 yards per carry, despite what happened in the second half against Illinois and the entire game against Ohio State. I hope people are able to appreciate what he's been able to do, even though Wisconsin churns out running backs that are really good quite often. He's special in his own right, and if he finishes with the third most yards in a single season that he's had in three years, that doesn't make it a disappointment. Yeah, Uh, 1977, I believe, is what he had his first year. So, you know what, I... Screw it. You go, you'll take the under, I'll take the over. All right, I like it. Yeah. Um, Quintez Cephas is underutilized in Wisconsin's offense. He's got 32 catches, 504 yards, four touchdowns this year. I'm sold. Get him the ball as much as you can. He's the best wide receiver on the team. If he had more chances, he'd probably take advantage of those opportunities. Now, that's a tough question also because they got to be able to establish the run and they got to have the time to throw everything has to work but yeah he's the best he's the best receiver on your team and to me it's it's not even close he had five catches for 94 yards no one else had more than 19 yards receiving now danny davis had four catches and he had a, a important touchdown but how could i say he's overutilized right. is my my yeah. response to that right but those are already career highs i mean not the touchdowns but the, the catches and the yards are already career highs um which is actually yeah. kind of, which is kind of in line. I know he missed the final five games of right. right, so he probably would have been right around that. Well, he he played nine games in 2017 before he he got hurt. Right, so his numbers are similar to similar what to what he they has are now, now through nine games. Right, yeah. yeah, and I don't think anybody thought he was underutilized in 2017. Hmm, I don't think so. Probably not. But he had four catches the year before. Right, I think he sort of knew a little bit more. Sure, how good he could be. Sure. Now, obviously, I think we it all happened much quicker than we may have thought considering when he came back to the team. Yeah. But he's just so good. He's so dynamic. You just want to give him as many chances as you can. And certainly he took advantage of those chances with that big 52-yard reception and then the 27-yard touchdown catch on the same drive. Yeah, it was it was impressive. Um, all right. Minnesota is legit. Sold or not sold. They beat – they go and hold on and beat Penn State. Some, some trash coaching from James Franklin, but other than that – I'm sold, man. 
I know I was talking here last week like... You and everybody else. Don't worry about it. I was talking here last week like I need to see it to believe it. They'd played five Big Ten teams that stunk. And Penn State was 8-0 and number four in the college football playoff rankings. And certainly the Nittany Lions had many, many chances which they should have won that game. But hey, that that's football. Minnesota won that game. And they're going to be in the top eight at least, I think, in the college football playoff. Yeah. Maybe they're in the top six because jump, they're undefeated now. Going to jump nine spots? Up, I mean, because they were at They seven, are. At I think 17. they are. And I have legitimate concerns now about whether Wisconsin's even going to have an opportunity in that last game to to capture the West. I, I don't know if I was <laughs> good enough to beat Minnesota. I didn't, didn't think I would say that, but offensively, outside of the, what they did late, well, I'm saying and, and defensively. Play, play like that. Play like you did in the fourth quarter. Allow Nate Stanley to throw the ball around. Well, the sure. Field. And what do you have to lose? <laughs> right, exactly. It, there's no the only thing you have to lose right now is the pig. That's the only thing you have to lose. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to win the West. Uh that, that's not going to happen. So you have to figure out a way to uh hold on to that rivalry trophy and keep I mean Minnesota hasn't won at Iowa in 20 years. You know, Play, stop being Kirk Frentz. Just play. Let them let them air it out and put some pressure on them. They are they are the ones with the pressure on it. Iowa, no pressure whatsoever. This is Minnesota now. You just had you just had your biggest win since what nineteen sixty probably with that with that win uh, against Penn State. Now you have to play. Now you have to go on the road for two games. The pressure's on them. It's not on anybody else. There's no pressure on Wisconsin. There's no pressure on Iowa. It's all on Minnesota at this point because. If you don't finish off this grant of an opportunity, kind of like Wisconsin in 2017, how often are you going to have an opportunity in an undefeated season? You're going to lament it forever because they're in a position right now. This is the biggest game of the year for Wisconsin that doesn't involve Wisconsin because if Minnesota beats Iowa, it's over, man. Northwestern isn't going to beat Minnesota. The Wildcats can barely score points. It's a celebration when they... 22 points? Tu- yeah, it's they, a celebration yeah. when they get a couple touchdowns in a game, so... This is it. In my, this is the Big Ten West, in, in my mind, because I, I I don't see Wisconsin losing to Nebraska and Purdue. Could be wrong, yeah. but neither one of those teams has inspired much confidence. And Wisconsin gets to the regular season finale and can't win the Big Ten West. Um, that would really take some steam out of that one, although Wisconsin it could play squelch spoiler. the undefeated, yes. and that would be that would be something, but... What, that would be really a, a difficult spot probably for fans like Wisconsin if they were to beat Minnesota, showing that the Badgers are better than the Gophers, yet not representing the Big Ten West, but Wisconsin did it to themselves. you got to right. beat Illinois. Right. But like, if that does happen, if Wisconsin's in that position, it's been a long, long time since Wisconsin's been in a position to play spoiler to Minnesota. Um, and if Wisconsin wins out, Minnesota wins out, that's likely a top 10 matchup You know, in the college football playoff. They've played once uh, as uh, top 10 teams against each other. And that was 1962. And Wisconsin was three and Minnesota was five. And Wisconsin won that game 14 to nine. I think, I, I think if they both went out, they'll probably both be in the top 10. We'll see. Minnesota looked solid, but James Franklin gave them that. I can't say gave them that game. That's just sounded like, a, that's sounded like a tool on my part, but um, it was just poor coaching. I think on James Franklin's part. And we had to watch then uh, PJ Fleck uh, crowd surf or I guess team surf in the locker room. Do you see that? I did not. He went flying in the locker room and they did f- they surfed him around because it's all about PJ. We'll see again. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. It should be a good game. Off of that topic or off that, that idea, 
because I think there's some people that were tweeting at me yesterday, and I didn't include it in the Twitter question, so I'll just put it here. Sold or not sold, Minnesota has bypassed Wisconsin as a program. I'm not sold. That's a dramatic overreaction. <laughs> if Minnesota beats Wisconsin 15 consecutive times in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe, and if they beat them three times in a row or something, then 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 we can talk. I, I PJ Fleck deserves tremendous credit for what he's done. You you may or may not like his style and the things that he says, but he's turned that program around in a hurry. And the win against Penn State was as validating as anything. Yep. Certainly validating of the seven year contract extension that he got earlier in the week. But last year was a a bad year by Wisconsin standards, and they still went eight and five. You know, bad year by Minnesota standards is missing a bowl. Maybe that's changing now with Fleck. But to me, no, that that's that's a vast overreaction. And even if Minnesota were to win this year, it'd be hard for me to say that given the fact that Wisconsin's gone to a bowl game every year for like eighteen straight years and might go nine and three this year or ten and three. It's just yeah. I'm not ready to, to make that proclamation. Ten million dollars, I believe, is what the buyout on his contract is. That's not a lot, is it? I mean, Minnesota, I mean, Florida State ponied up $17 million to, to buy out Willie Taggart uh, at like the drop of a hat. I feel like if there's a team that wants to come get P.J. Fleck, that $10 million is not going to keep them away. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I know it's a lot of money. Obviously, we're, we're talking about this, but Paul Chris has a higher buyout than P.J. Fleck. And Paul Chris ain't going anywhere. It's going to have to be a program that desperately wants Fleck and has the money to do it. I don't know how many... There's, um, there's quite a few, I would assume. Assuming they maybe. would want him. Assuming they would want him. Right. Right. Because that's it is, a tough question because you is get it though? Well, if you make that decision, you're it depends what you are as a program, right? Well, he's Who, not gonna leave Minnesota to go to uh like another middle mid tier or low no. you know, like uh power five team. He's gonna go to a team that has had success or a lot of success and it has a history, right? Florida State would be like a pro- type of program, a program that's had a lot of success in their past but isn't right now. He's not going to Florida State. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying a program like that, a program that has fallen on hard times and has Wisconsin's uh, scraps playing at quarterback, you know, that is, to me, a type of program that he could possibly, potentially um, be a target of. Let's see what happens for the next few years at Minnesota. I'm, I'm interested oh, to few see years. where this... You're, oh, you think he's going to stay here for a few more years? I mean, what do you think he's going to bolt like at this year? Does he come across as a guy that has uh, Minnesota as his bucket list of uh, places he wants to coach? And I don't know, but I'd like to think he comes across as someone who'll stay there longer than three seasons. Why? I don't know. How long do you stay at Western Michigan? Yeah, but come on, <laughs> that's not this. That's what is it? He's got an opportunity to go to a Big Ten program. I mean, that's if you're at a, a mid-major program, that's a Big Ten program that is in a in a city that. Where is the afterthought? I mean, why sign the seven-year extension if, like, a month later you're going to bounce? That's just what. That's how. I, obviously, it's the security of it. But yeah, having said that, I'd be surprised if a month from now we're having that discussion. Anyway, no one listening on this cares. Well, no, I, I you're you're wrong about that. I think the, probably a lot of people care whether because they all believe that Minnesota's not a, a destination program for a guy like PJ Fleck. So we'll see. He, I don't think he's leaving out this year. I'm just saying I don't think the $10 million is something that's going to keep people away. We'll see. Uh, finally, Chris Orr, best quote on, uh, on this year's Badgers team, and potentially maybe ever. I am buying all the stock I have in Chris mm-hmm. Orr. If so, I could talk so to him. So you're sold on that. Yeah. 
I, if I could talk to him every day, I would, and he, for the most part, probably would enjoy it. He's just <laughs> he's just a quote machine. He's he's so jovial. He's so fun to be around. I know I've talked about that before. There are a lot of good quotes on the team. I think Zach Bond is excellent. He 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 was great in the locker room or outside the locker room again after the Iowa game. But yeah, Chris is probably on my all time quote team. I, I I'd have have to really think about who else is on there. Peter Kahn's was pretty fantastic way back when. A lot of offensive linemen over the years have been good. Those are some of the most intelligent, fun guys to talk to. But Chris Orr, right up there at or near the top. All right, time to head into the post-game media session. Wisconsin did not lost three straight games in more than a decade when they took the field against Iowa on Saturday. Through a steady diet of Jonathan Taylor, some timely throws from Jack Cohn, and a remarkable goal line stop by the defense, they still haven't lost three straight since 2008. After having gone nearly a month without a win, message was simple very early, dominate the line of scrimmage. It's what the offensive line did, and early, said guard David Mormon. Yeah, you definitely get a, you know, you de- it's definitely a feeling you just kind of instantly notice when you get out there. You kind of... Um, the first drive, you know, it's like set the tone and you can kind of like easily feel it. And I know we, the first couple drives we stalled, but I did feel like we were getting movement on those guys. So it kind of, as the game went on, we got out there more. It was, I think they started um, feeling it a little bit and we ended up, you know, breaking some big run plays. Iowa came in allowing just 88.7 yards per game on the ground. That was a top 10 figure in the country. Badgers had 137 in the first half. Taco Cole Van Landen said that success showed Wisconsin can still bully teams. We're getting back to our offense, playing back to Wisconsin football where we're not, we're just driving the field and keeping the time of possession and it's great to feel that, you know, and keep to, to do that felt just awesome and uh, getting JT out in open field like that again was uh, really important for us and we worked really hard on doing that and we did that today for him and it's awesome. Wisconsin's first half scores though did not come from Jonathan Taylor. Instead, it was Danny Davis scoring his first two touchdowns of the season. The first came in a jet sweep where he nearly caught the ball from the center. Uh, to be honest, man, I knew um, I was just trying to hit it. Um, I knew he got the ball, so I know I, just, I think I grabbed it from him. So um, it's pretty funny, but I know uh, with the Jets, you got to hit it with speed. So I just try to get it on a corner and make a play. So was that how it was practice? Uh, not quite, but I think I was moving a little faster than I was in practice today. So that's probably why. Davis would later add a second touchdown. This one, a short pass from Cone. Now, yeah, it felt good. Um, you know, just being a uh, getting a chance to you know contribute to this team and you know scoring and you know in the big opportunities. Davis wasn't the only wide receiver to get involved, though. So too did Quintez Cephas Jr. had a 52-yard reception to jumpstart a drive and caught a pretty 27-yard touchdown on a back shoulder throw. Um, it felt really good. You know, anytime you can make some plays down the field um, or in key moments for our team, have a chance to make a play to help our team, you want to take advantage of those opportunities. Wisconsin's defense played well early. Iowa had a 93 yards in the first half, but late in the third quarter, the Hawkeyes came alive largely due to the passing of Nate Stanley. Threw for 180 yards, two touchdowns in the second half. That included a 75-yard strike with just 312 left in the game and his team trailing by eight. But they still needed that two-point conversion to tie it, and Iowa called on the 242-pound Stanley to make it happen by calling a quarterback draw. It wasn't something that safety Eric Burrell was expecting. It was not. Obviously, he's not a runner, but the game's on the line. Uh, hats off to him. He's a, he's a great quarterback, and I, I knew he was going to put it on his hands because obviously that was a big possession for them. Obviously, uh, when he threw the touchdown, how many yards it was, that was a great possession for them. But, you know, on the two-yard line, you're down by two. This this you got to have it. The Badgers did have to have it, and they got the stop courtesy of Burrell and linebacker Chris Orr. Here's how Orr saw the play. You know, I was dropping back in coverage, and then I got my eyes back to him, you know, getting ready to read him for the 
for the throw, and I see him with it tucked and coming straight at me. It was pretty much just a one-way alley, to be honest. Um, the running back led up to try to block. There was no time to think. You know, it's time to put up or shut up. You know, so I just ran in there and tried to lay into him. Though Stanley outweighed or by about. 20 pounds, the senior linebacker had no doubts he'd win that battle. Oh, yeah, I'm like, either he going he gonna to have to run me over. And I I was confident that he wasn't going to run me over, so, you know, it felt good. That's all right. You ain't squatting 600. <laughs> the play went to review, but Burrell had no doubts. No, I actually, when, I, when I'm coming down like that, I was not surprised because I knew where he was. Uh, I think he gained a yard and stuff like that, and I knew once Chris got there and I was going to finish the top up, and I, threw, uh, I knew the rest of the defense was going to gather and push him back, so I, I was not surprised by the play. So did, did you know when they went to review that he hadn't made it? In? Yeah, I knew 100%, 100%. Linebacker Zach Bond said that one play encapsulated what Iowa versus Wisconsin is all about. The collision Chris Chris had within that dude is really symbolizes what this rivalry is. It's mano a mano, um, strength on strength, and Chris, Wisconsin won that one. We said the more physical team would win, and um, that, that play in itself kind of resembles that. Coach Paul Chris impressed with his defense's ability to overcome giving up that 75-yard touchdown to get that stop on the two-point conversion. You know, the football, you know, it's a game of emotions right and uh you talk about a huge momentum swing and to be able to to bow up you know uh, in that i think it it speaks volumes badger's job not done though at that point iowa decided not to go for the onside kick instead try to have their defense get to stop so with a little more than three minutes left in that game wisconsin specifically the offensive line and taylor took the field with the game in their hands i was confident i mean the fans were electric you could just feel it and you understood you trust the guys up front you trust the guys around you you know that guys are going to move move guys off the ball so you just got to read your keys which you've been coached to do all week and cut it loose that's exactly what taylor and the offense did gained 10 yards in his first two carries then broke off a 43 yarder that proved to be the backbreaker one more first down run by mason stocky sealed things it was a situation badgers had failed in three weeks earlier against illinois this time van Lannan and company finished that's what we were thinking we knew what we had to do we knew we'd get a couple first downs to win this game and um, I know we had that mindset coming out there, and that's what we did. Taylor finished with 250 yards, most by Wisconsin back against Iowa ever. He broke Ron Dane's mark, and it came in a very Dane-like effort with 31 carries. Now, well, Ron, and he actually talked to me before the game, uh, you know, just telling me, hey, you know what kind of game it's going to be. And, you know, I knew what kind of game it was going to be. It's Iowa. It's always a slugfest, four-quarter game. But, you know, just give me words of encouragement, and it's always good to have someone like that in your corner. Taylor says the win showed him the Badgers had the ability to overcome adversity. Really, it proved that, that we're resilient. Um, wanted to fight back after that Illinois loss, um, you know, fell again, and it just proves how resilient this team is. Like I said, throughout that bye week during practice, I mean, you wouldn't have thought we lost at all the way the energy and the speed of the practice was. The win leaves Wisconsin 7-2 on the season, 4-2 in Big Ten play. While they don't control their path to a Big Ten West title, they need Minnesota to lose once before the teams meet in that regular season finale up in Minneapolis. Or says him and the rest of the leaders like where they are after what has been a tough month. Yeah, I feel good. You know, um, we're not really worried about them or whatever is going on. You know, things going to unfold how they unfold. All we can do is control what we can control. You know, that's you know handling Iowa and then on to the next. All right, time to get into uh, some of your Twitter questions. What's their path to the Rose Bowl? Any chance? Uh, Brew Crew fan in California wants to know. They're going to have to be the second best. Ohio State 
presumably is going to win the Big Ten. They only put up 73 points against Maryland. But they gave up 14, so they're they're fallible on defense because no Chase Young. <laughs> and then, who, who's going to be the second team? Ah, it's tough because Minnesota and Penn State are potential options. If Minnesota wins the West, then they're going to play in the Big Ten Championship and say I think they're 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one. Yeah. That's probably them. I think it's Minnesota probably. Yeah. Like, whoever... Right now, that's how it would line up. Right. Whoever the team coming out of the West is, I think, ends up playing in the Rose Bowl. Um, unless, of course, Penn State goes and beats... Ohio State, I mean, after yesterday, I don't potentially see that happening. But, you know, Ohio State, I guess, it, I mean, if Ohio State isn't in the playoff, they would probably go to the Rose Bowl. But I think the only way they're not in the playoff is if they lose two games. Like, I think if they well, if they lose to Penn State, it's a, in the, it's and that's their one loss, and Penn State doesn't lose again in conference play, then that would be Penn State in the um, Big Ten Championship game. And maybe Ohio State would end up in the Rose Bowl if Penn State was in the playoff. I don't know. All, all we know is that without Wisconsin, the only route that they have to get into the Rose Bowl is to win the West and then hope some things go their way on, on the other side. But we'll see. David asks, is there a fan base in America that wants to see their own quarterback fail more than Wisconsin? Probably. <laughs> I, I, almost all of them? <laughs> well, no. I don't think... I mean, there's, you, mean, you mean because of the Graham Mertz factor or is this just an every year thing? It's an every year thing, isn't it? Like it what? has been in most years. It's whoever's waiting in the wings. The backup quarterback since, is always the best quarterback on the team, whether since, it was Bart Houston. Or, since 2012, it's been that way. 100%. It wasn't that way in 2011. wasn't that way in 2009 or 2010, but it has been that way. I mean, you know, you get Danny O'Brien starting in 2012, and everybody wanted to see Joel Stabby. In 2013, everyone wanted to see um, Bart Houston. And it was the same way in, you know, in 2014, everyone wanted to see Joel Stabby back out there when it was Tanner McAvoy. And so it keeps on going and going and going and, it's always the next uh, the next guy up, but do I think people are rooting for Jack to fail? That would really be an awful fan if you are <laughs> if you're doing. That. I mean, I he's been a good quarterback this season. Is he great? No, but he's done all the things. He's made all the improvements that you would hope he would make in his junior season. You look at the numbers from this game. He completed sixty four percent of his passes, had one hundred seventy three yards, two touchdowns. He obviously lost a fumble and had a a bad interception. Not that any of them are good, but. On the whole this season, he's among the national leaders in completion percentage. He's been pretty efficient. And I think if you if someone gave you the stats through nine games and you said, oh, this guy's going to have, what's he up to, 12 touchdowns and three interceptions, based on the fact that the previous quarterback had 26 interceptions in two seasons, I feel like you would take that if you didn't have the name next to those numbers. So right. I hope you're not rooting for Jack to fail, but, you know, you can... You can hope that Graham does something special when he gets his opportunity, but I think Jack is making the most of, of his chance, too. While we're on the topic, uh, you had a chance to talk with Graham Mertz um, earlier before last game and did a Q&A with him, you can, which you can read up on The Athletic. Just wondering what your biggest takeaway out of that interview was. My biggest takeaway was that, according to him, he's taken all the reps with the twos, at least most, and because I asked you and I haven't seen practice since the middle of August. That's how it works every year. You can see the first couple of weeks for your media member of, of fall camp, then they close it off as the season gets going. So it's been almost three months. So who knows exactly what's going on behind closed doors? And I, I asked him, well, are you on the scout team? Where are you? What What does your rep percentage look like? And he said, no, I'm running all with the twos. And I said, so is it you and Chase? He said, no, it's, it's me. And I think that's pretty telling, uh, if that is indeed true, about – where he stands with this program and not really all that surprising based on what we've seen and, and his potential. 
I'd be interested to see what would happen if they needed a quarterback and Jack couldn't go this season. That's a, a topic of discussion for another time, perhaps. But no, I mean, I, I, we we talked about it. We've talked about it. I feel like before every game, um, yeah. when, but, we're, when we're sitting there watching warmups, I feel like, well, who's gonna, if, if Jack goes down, who's it going to be kind of thing? And we don't know. But at this point, he's played two games. There's four games to play. Um, I think we see him at some point. Yeah, that's I'm not sure because if all these games go down to one possession game, I don't think they will. But you, you, I mean, you wouldn't expect them to. Yeah, you, you've got the opportunity to use him for two games. You certainly ought to take advantage of that opportunity while being mindful of the fact that I, I wouldn't play him more than four games. I just wouldn't. If he's as good as we all think he is, I know the coaches don't think the way that we think, which is as we discussed. Because if they did, Jack Owen wouldn't have played in a fifth game in the Pinstripe Bowl last year. So right. that tells you all you need to know about how important it is for them to win now. Having said that. He's got to get the full four years, man. He just he just has to. Someone like him doesn't come along every year. Um, he's really special. And I also asked him, because it's a minority of fans, right, that are wondering, ah, oh, is he going to transfer? He's not playing. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous in my mind because he'd have to sit out for a year, presumably. <laughs> Who right. knows what the NCAA transfer rules? Um, and he'd be in better position by staying. But I asked him if he'd heard that, and he said all the time. I have my friends text me back home and I'm like, oh, did you see this on Twitter? But he said, why would I come here if I wanted to leave? So I, I thought that was, not that I expect him to say anything different, but the fact that he addressed it, I think that that speaks to how invested he is in Wisconsin. He's extremely close with John Budmeyer, the quarterback's coach. He trusts this program and he's in a great position. His future here is, to me, at minimum, a potential three-year starter. That's a pretty darn good spot to be. Right. And to think if he went somewhere else and assuming he couldn't get a waiver, um, He'd be sitting and then starting when there would be a starting job open here for sure. Yeah, it would make no sense. Right. That that to me, yeah, that doesn't, that would not uh, jive well at all. Um, th- this is kind of going to the quarterback thing. Uh, Adam says, this is Alex Hornibrick again, speaking of Jack Cohn. And I know you will say it's not just like the media said Hornibrick isn't stabby, but either he is or Chris is holding them back being afraid to throw the ball down the field. Do you, I think that to me is the part of the question I'm asking is do you think it's do you think it's the inability of Jack to do it or do you think it's just a lack of um, not even confidence just but willingness to green light it and let the let let the ball go maybe it's more of that I, I don't think there's a lack of confidence with Jack I I, I think and the majority of his throws have been kind of short intermediate throws that seems to be where he excels the most and so maybe it's that you want to tailor the offense to the strengths of the quarterback but I don't know. He's taken advantage of some shots. I don't. If you don't have confidence in a quarterback, you don't go for it on fourth down and throw a twenty-six yard pass against Michigan. Uh, you know, with the game still hanging right. in the balance. Yeah. To me, that 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 if we look back on the season as kind of the plays of the season or ones that define the season, that is one that will stick in my mind because of what it said about the confidence that they do have in Jack. But I guess I would ask, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, do you want Jack to throw forty times in a game? He it, threw 30, 35 against Illinois. That wasn't the way that you wanted to do yeah, things. Yeah, he threw 25 against Iowa. It's not like we're talking about, you know, Kurt Phillips when he was uh, hanging on and they used him and they, they passed it like eight times. I think it's the, the type of plays that they're calling for, right? I mean, but here's the thing. As I mentioned earlier, in the earlier, there were some throws down the field open and he decided to take them short. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they haven't been calling the plays. Sometimes he'll take it short. Sometimes he'll take the shot. Uh, the two, really the three to Quintez, uh, well, the two long ones and then uh, the back shoulder throw. Those are 
Um, he can. I think he can make those throws. I just don't know if consistently they want him uh, to do that. You mentioned the Michigan fourth and three play. That play also stands out for another reason, of course, and that is because that is the play that he took a significant shot um, to his uh, – got bent back pretty good on his knee and um, was limping around the rest of that game. And I'm not sure if he's all the way fully healthy. I mean, we asked him uh, if he wanted to, to talk about that a couple weeks ago, and uh, he said he no. Um, and then <laughs> we were not supposed to talk about that. And I'm not sure if he's – completely totally still all the way back healthy right I mean that was a big shot that he took and there are some passes that are sailing on him and I don't know if that's him not having the ability to step into throws whatever it is uh at this point I don't think he's still I don't think he's 100% but I, I guess really nobody is at this point in the season but you notice it more with the quarterback because of some things that I feel like he was able to do early in the season maybe not doing it as much I thought that as well. I, I I looked at that first quarter and there were there were throws that he's made all season and they weren't there. And I think some the knee jerk reaction of some is to say, "Oh, look, he's regressed." And like I just I don't see that. I, I think there could be some merit to what you're saying. Was the rushing defense from Iowa overrated at number eight nationally coming in? They did not they did not face a rushing attack higher than fifty one before uh, before Saturday. They were rated where they were. I mean, they they played Michigan and Penn State, and so those numbers counted, even if those teams didn't necessarily have top twenty rushing right. offenses. So, I guess based on what happened, yes, but that was just an all around dominant performance by Wisconsin. For for I would come into the game averaging like under ninety yards, eighty eight point seven, un- unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan had more than that in one quarter. So, I look at it more of Wisconsin did something incredible to a really good defense that you will not see again this season right uh one injury note uh, obviously bryson williams taking off in a cart we'll know a little bit more about him i would assume monday it didn't look good but i i don't know if it's going to be something where it was season ending though there isn't a ton of season left uh also just between us who what do you got going here in terms of the last three games what does wisconsin go I think Wisconsin wins out. I said it before the Iowa game. I still felt like you still think I, they they still feel good about the Minnesota game. I do. I really do. I think uh, Chris Orr will rally the troops. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like after what happened last year and after and where Minnesota could be, I still think Wisconsin will be the better team in that game. Like I mean, Minnesota gave up a lot of points to Penn State. Penn State moved the ball. They just couldn't, they couldn't, close, finish, they couldn't close the deal. Couldn't finish the red zone, kind of like Wisconsin against Illinois. Yes. I I think this defense will play well, and I think the I I think Wisconsin's going to win. I really do. Now, I also don't know if it's going to matter. It's going to matter to Minnesota and their national championship hopes, but I just, after what we've seen, it's, it's hard for me to think. Maybe Minnesota loses at Iowa, but can I'd Min- be inclined to pick the Gophers. Can Minnesota lose to Wisconsin and still make the playoff? No. Assume like oh well if they were to beat Ohio, Ohio State well or would Ohio would, State get in that would change the conversation I don't think anyone two in Big the Ten big, teams no one in the Big Ten's beating Ohio State maybe Penn State somehow does it but no one from the Big Ten West is beating Ohio State yeah I would I would agree uh, again Wisconsin will now head to Nebraska to face uh, the Cornhuskers and they have not been very good this year um, but they get they got the buy and we'll see what Scott Frost has up his sleeve uh, as Wisconsin. Looks for they've only lost once to to Nebraska back in 2012, I should say, since they joined the conference, and we'll see if Wisconsin can uh, 
keep it going in that respect. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.